Golden Harvest song, I Need Your Love. Now, the band is nominated at this year's Waiata Māori Music Awards. Maggie Papakura from the Hapu Tūhaurangi died some 80 years ago and was buried in the heart of England, near Oxford. She was honoured by a memorial at her home in Whakarewarewa village, Rotorua. She was born Margaret Tom in 1873 and later became known as Maggie Papakura, a guide at Whakarewarewa village. Tonight, producer Paul Diamond provides an insight into her extraordinary life in his 2003 documentary, Remembering Makaritsi. When a carpenter in the small Oxfordshire village of Oddington cleared out his workshop in 2000, the funny bit of carved wood whose flat back he'd been using as a workbench came to light. The wood turned out to be a 19th century Māori carving, like others found in 1946 that had been built into a farm pig shed and used as fence posts. To find out how Māori carvings ended up in the English countryside, you need to go to the other side of the world, to Whakarewarewa, the famous geyser valley in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and the home of an exceptional woman who led a remarkable life. Maggie Papakura, well, she's a very beautiful lady. And she was very clever, and she acted as a guide, and she could walk around showing a bishop or somebody like that and tell the details about the site she was showing. Or she could walk around with a, one of the worst villains and her conversation would suit out of position. Well, I remember my young days when I lived at Whakarewarewa with my kroa Maihi de Kako Barao and my kuya Marara, his sister. Those two fine old people of the old order who lived their good and simple life, not knowing a word of English. We lived mostly at Whakarewarewa during the winter season going to Parekarangi now and then to get potatoes and other foods, as nothing was grown at Whakarewarewa owing to the heat of the ground. Our kainga at Parekarangi was close to the forest, and the only sound we heard was the singing of birds, which was a wonderful sound, and the Mangakara stream flowing over its pebbly bed. She was trained and nurtured and raised and taught by people from another world and another generation until she was eight years old. I know and feel that with all the education I have received, for which I am most grateful, I am at heart just the same as when I spent all those happy years of childhood 
with my kuia and kroa. When she moved back to Whakatewarewa and um, when her father, after his various meanderings around the island, um, returned to the Rotorua area and reclaimed his two talented daughters, Margareti and, of course, Bella. Um, at that time, he removed them both and set about arranging for them a classic English education so that Margareti was enrolled at Mrs Stoddart's school by the Willows in Tauranga, and she describes that experience herself. That was the most horrible year of my life, she told an English magazine interviewer. But I learned how you people think. She got out of there and um, ended up as one of the outstanding pupils at Hukarere, which is another story. And I know that the school itself is incredibly proud of her achievements. She walked proudly and confidently in both worlds, and she relished the experience of both worlds without shame, without embarrassment, without awkwardness. Yeah, well, you see, she had two marriages. She married an Irish surveyor named Denon, and that's where she had her son. And then they got divorced. So where are we now? What part the, of the village are we in? We're right in the centre of the Whakarewarewa village and we're, we're walking through the steam because it's sort of like a particularly misty day today. This is actually a living village. I mean, this is not really a tourist attraction. It's actually where we live our cult. We live and we... Our, our big meeting house there, through the gap there, you can see Paula's Wahi our ancestral Tupuna meeting house. You can feel that the ground is warm and, and there's steam everywhere, so it evokes all those sort of lovely things when you're visiting home and you think um, this is where she was and where she lived. She came back here guiding, and that's when she uh, met the right people, as it were, you know. What did you think of, Ma of Maggie? Well, she could behave. She could uh, be a lady. And she could be the reverse when she liked. And, of course... Uh you would have a lot to do also with our Maori guide, such household words that were still remembered today. Yes. Needless to say, Sophia was outstanding. But she was a very old woman, and uh, I've told you what she did in the eruption in 1888. Yes. 86 at least. And uh, she was looked upon and respected by everybody. Perhaps not everybody, as guide Sophia was prompted to write to the Premier in 1900, asking to be registered as a guide at Whakarewerewa. Ko te take i tono atu ai ahau, kwa raru rawa ahau i taku mahi arahi pākeha, i tētihi atu wahine, ara a mākereti tāme. The reason for my making this application is that I am in great trouble in connection with my acting as guide for European tourists, owing to the action of another woman named Makareti Tame. No te mea, kai te kaha tonu ahau ki taua mahi, a inaia nei, kwa kore rawa hau e fifi pākeha hei arahi i taua wahine.
nana ifakarari wa hau. For I am quite able to undertake it, and now I do not get any pakehas to guide through that woman who has caused this trouble to come upon me. Kai noe tonu atu tōpononga, kia whakamana mai taku tono. Your humble servant ever prays that what she asks for may be given effect to. I have to state that I do not think it is necessary to specially authorise anyone for this purpose, went the official's response. If she was so authorised, it would deprive others from acting. She, of course, takes her chance with others. There are one or two other guides, young women of good address, who no doubt run Sophia very hard as she is getting old and has not the energy of the young people. Shortly afterwards, Margaret's guiding persona took an unusual turn and Margaret Tom disappeared. They were actually Toms. They were, their father was um, um, European. And uh, because Maggie's, of course, she was a guide in the Whakariwa area, and um, she just chose the name one day and she named herself um, after a geyser, the Papakura geyser. And so that was a name that became part of her identity and who she was. I think it was part of their entrepreneurial flair. You actually um, built up a little legend about your people and yourself, and if that was giving yourself a, um, a name that related to your tribal area, then that's how we did it anyway. Early in March of this year of grace, 1901, the Honourable James Carroll, native minister, issued a circular to the chiefs and Maori tribes throughout the North and South Islands, calling upon them to meet at Rotorua in the month of June to welcome their royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall and York, then about to leave England on a tour of the colonies. The Maori people was stirred as never it was stirred before and never will be again. Well... That was in June 1901, in the middle of winter. And needless to say, we were all very excited about it. Uh, the, one morning, they did the Ohinemutu and the sanatorium ground. And after informal cheering, they proceeded to the scene of geyser activity. The royal party entered the domain of the geysers by the bridges over the Puarenga, over which stood a handsome leafy arch erected in their honour. Mr. Clark, the government inspector, was in charge of affairs. Sophia, the famous guide, one of the few survivors of the Tarawira eruption of 1886, conducted the Duchess, while her niece, Maggie Papakura, took charge of the Duke. The whole party lingered for a while about the big geysers. Maggie is the personage of Whakarewarewa and bears her honours with regal courtesy. Her handsome face, framed in its scarlet kerchief, is most fascinating to watch, and her voice is musical and soft, while her English is more refined than nine-tenths of the Pākehā visitors. This soft, low voice, an excellent thing in a woman, says Shakespeare. I mean, she was like the media superstar of, one of the media superstars of her day. I mean, really from the visit of the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall and York here in 1901. I mean, that, 
that really was a big turning point, wasn't it? It did. It, it elevated people, as it does today too, it elevates people into into um, stardom because you are famous for your contacts or mm. or your exposure. or And it, what it is is a pride. It's people become very proud of your of being able to actually hoof it in those circles as well. And, and she was able to do that. Her, um, her manner of speaking and her grace. I hear grace and dignity about her all the time. We also came across a very interesting lady um, some time ago, Florence Harsent. Maggie was the head guide, of course, in charge of all the other guides. And Florence had lived, uh, she died when she was 102, and we were lucky enough to be able to go up in her 100th year for her birthday. And, and it was more fascinating because we'd come across a book that she'd written. It was called They Called Me Te Māori. And so she wrote her life history. And so... It was intriguing. We, she told us many stories which we've archived too. Um, one of them was that uh, she was actually sent away for being, she was a disobedient child, Florence, and she was sent to the mission school in Whakarewarewa to become a temperance and a good um, lady, a good Christian lady. And one of the things she mentioned in the book, which sort of got my back up initially, was that um, she didn't approve of the way Maggie conducted herself with her young people. She had a concert party and they used to give concerts in in the town and people used to go to this Maori concert and she was the leader of all that. She got all the good jags, the pretty girls to do the poi dance and, and the ones that could sing well, she gathered them all in. But we felt that she was taking the young girls into these things and putting them into, into temptation, not really looking after them morally. Being pretty Māori girls, they were easy prey. charming woman. She was very musical and uh, did a certain amount of guiding. In the, uh, in the uh, first Rotorua Carnival in 1904, they had, a, a, among other thing, items, was a Maori canoe uh, races. And unfortunately, the Wakarua boys lost all their races. Bella looked upon this as a huge joke and she started what is now known as the Maori Canoe Poi Dance. Yeah. She used to get the girls down in front of the guy at the hotel of a night, sitting on the ground as they do now with their poi's, and she taught them that dance. It was her own invention and it was uh, practically, uh, you might say, throwing off at the uh, see. at the boys who lost the race and say that the <laughs> girls could do better. However, that dance is now one of the most popular dances we have in the country, I think.
I've got this diary that we had, it's a family diary of Makariti's, and if you read the pages you can read between the lines some of it, some, and her writing is beautiful, beautiful script, and uh, she makes observations about the people she um, is guiding. What sort of picture do you, do you get, did you get when you read that, that I, diary? Well, one of the things that, that I, I built up was the fact that she was a really clever lady. She was a tribal leader. January 31st. 1907. Read articles in Herald on Māori hakas by two cards under the non de plume of Māori lander and a visitor to Rotorua. It is wonderful how many evil-minded wretches there are in this world, needless to mention how I feel. A good thing those two did not live in the olden days. Sir, I was a fortunate spectator at the great Māori gathering at Rotorua during the Prince of Wales' visit, and the remembrance of the stirring war dances performed sets the blood tingling. But the bestial exhibitions now exhibited at Wakarewarewa produced the utmost feelings of disgust. That such dances should be termed hakas is nothing short of an insult to the native race and the thousands of tourists who, in good faith, expect to see the representation of a war dance. One feels inclined to write very fully on the matter, but enough for the present. Marylander. Sir, I myself, unfortunately attended by my wife and daughter, was lately induced to attend a haka at Hakarewerewa. Anything more obscene, so far removed from even attempts at natural gracefulness, it would be hard to imagine. And whilst our police are pursuing such a vigorous campaign against indecent and even suggestive pictures, to allow these dances to go on seems very incongruous. I have a fair knowledge of the Māori language, obtained, I may add, in southern districts, and some of the songs are worse than vile, and the evident relish with which they are sung is added to by the gestures. If the authorities have no wish to interfere with the natives, surely Europeans are entitled to consideration. They are induced by the native guides to attend an ostensibly innocent poi dance, and on arrival are often shocked and grossly deceived. Although most of my admiration for the Māoris evaporated long ago during a close business connection with them and with a knowledge of the language, I think something should be done in their interests in this matter, as well as on the score of public decency. A visitor to Rotorua. Sir, I was pained and shocked very much on reading the letters. I have been connected with hakas for some time, as my sister is leader in the poi and haka at Whakarewarewa, and I have never heard any complaint made of them. Why did they not walk out if they thought there was anything obscene, or stand up in the hall and tell us that it was vile if it was so? Of course, anything is vile to evil-minded persons. And I can but say to these individuals, Oniswa ki malipons. Māori lander and visitor would do well to look nearer home than interfering with the Māoris, who are well able to look after themselves. The poi and haka are graceful dances, which give pleasure to pure-minded people. Let a visitor to Rotorua come out from behind the shelter to the non de plume he has adopted, the shelter of one who can only be sheltered as a card, and we will then know whether he is a pure or evil-minded individual, and whether he is a foe worthy of our steel. Maggie Papakura, Guide, Whakarewarewa, Rotorua.
Tapakura of uh, Rotorua and her sister Bella were the two principal guides who um, succeeded Sophia. I um, met them and knew them very well indeed, these two uh, wonderful women. Um, Bella was the dance genius of New Zealand. What that woman could do with her eyes and her hands and her body, well, was nobody's business. He was a, a wonderful example. I doubt whether we've ever had a poi dance uh, like her since. Uh, Bella, and his Maggie, she had a fine brain and uh, she used to guide the um, notables when they came to Rotorua, uh, the, the Duke and Duchess of York, um, um, high dignitaries from all parts of the world, and she corresponded with these people. Uh, she wrote a wonderful hand and had a great knowledge of English. And um, uh, she had a number of girls that used to come to her worry, which, by the way, was a carved worry, uh, all the furniture was carved, and the, the warrior was the most wonderful example of Marriott. Well, they used to meet in this warrior at night time and uh, sing songs, uh, which gave me an opportunity to take them down. I remember on one occasion, uh, Maggie and I were talking, and uh, the uh, girls came in dressed in boys' clothes and started to sing uh, a marified version of... American coon songs and um, put on a marvellous performance and it appears that they had been down to the uh, hot pools and taken the boys' clothes who were in swimming and came up and put on this term. They were very shy about it. When they'd finished, they were or disappeared as quickly as they came. But I thought to myself, if an, uh, an entrepreneur had seen them, he'd have thought, what a, what a marvellous uh, show for, uh, to take all over the world. which is exactly what happened. The famous Maori guide, Maggie Papakura, who was to give a series of entertainments in Sydney and Melbourne under the management of Messrs J and N Tate, leaves New Zealand this week to that end. With her are a company of 22 poi dancers, as well as her sister Bella, who invented the canoe poi dance. The Sydney troupe, complete with carved Maori village, impressed a syndicate of Sydney investors. In October, Maggie leaves New Zealand for England with a Maori troupe of entertainers, poi dancers, hakerists, canoeists, etc., etc. And we guess she'll have a good time when she meets all her old friends in the cold old land. There are 40 coming over, 22 men, 15 girls, and three grown-up women with tattoo. We are going to have a village as we had in Sydney and whares will be taken across, and pātaka, etc. And bringing across old mitato pōpoki, unless some unforeseen thing happens. Bella will lead the dances, and I will attend to the choir. The men also will be a good specimen of our race. Part one of Remembering Makiritsi. Maggie Papakura, produced by Paul Diamond and was first broadcast in 2003. Next week, part two.